Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Yes She Can Project. I am so happy to be joined by the wonderful Dr Meg Arrell who is a chartered psychologist, a scientist and an author. So hello Meg. Hello Michelle. (laughs) Hello Michelle, thank you so so much for having me here. I'm very excited to be here um, and discuss lots of things about psychology, psychological therapy and Mm -hmm. tiny trauma. Yes definitely, well um, first thing on the agenda is your wonderful new book called Tiny Traumas. Um, So could you explain to people what exactly a tiny trauma is? Okay, so I I noticed a pattern, Michelle, in, in my practice. So people were coming to see me and mm-hmm. in that initial sort of consultation, which can, can feel very intimidating, there is almost a, a reluctance to, to share their lived experience. And there was a really frequent thread that was, you know what, I, I haven't suffered major trauma. Nothing yeah. huge has happened in my life. You know, I didn't live like through a natural disaster. Um, I had quite a happy childhood, but I just don't feel okay. I, I really yeah. don't feel right. Um, and I found that really telling, really notable. And so we know a lot about big T trauma. So if yeah. we think about uh, the T being capitalized, the big T trauma. So we've been studying that. Um, for, for many decades, and we know the profound psychological and physical impact that has on people. Um, yeah. But I just want to caveat that, that, that we have lots and lots of interventions to help people to, to really thrive in life, um, even if they have experienced that big T trauma. But much less attention has been given to the kind of things that really undermine us on an everyday basis and build up over time. So these small T Uh, traumas which I call tiny traumas they are the psychological and emotional wounds that really do cause what I call emotional and psychological silt they build up and they really kind of make us very sluggish and they can Mm -hmm. then develop into the presentations that I see so what I see in my practice are things like high function anxiety So that's when you can still do your life, right? So you can still go to work, you can still take care of your family, but it feels like a monumental effort and you feel anxious just all all the time. That underlying anxiety is over there. Um, But you just can't pinpoint exactly what it is that's making you feel that way. Exactly. Also, low-grade depression in terms of just feeling numb, So Mm -hmm. not feeling depressed. I can't tell you the amount of times um, in my my practice I've had clients say, look, I know I'm not depressed, Dr. Meg. I know I'm not depressed, but I just don't feel anything. So emotional blunting. Then some behavioral um, manifestations such as um, emotional or comfort eating, sleep disturbance around other things. So these would be absolutely suboptimal sort of behavioral patterns. But if you would go to your GP and say, well, you know, I know I feel anxious or in fact, anxiety is quite hard to to put your finger on as well, but I can still do everything I need to do. Um, the medical profession at the moment would, would probably say, uh, okay, you don't meet the criteria for what we know yeah. as psychological conditions. And the yeah. criteria are quite set. And so often people are left with, well, I don't know 
what's wrong but mm-hmm. I'm, it mustn't be that bad because no one's offering me any help or support yeah so and, that's, then, and then it's a vicious yeah. cycle isn't it Absolutely. because it, you almost you're almost reluctant to go and see somebody mm-hmm. because if you can't pinpoint exactly what's wrong and what's causing you to feel mm-hmm. that way then how do you expect somebody else to so I bet there's so many people you know at home sitting thinking to themselves well actually I know I don't feel right but I don't feel bad enough to go and get something sorted and even when you don't know what's right and you try and pinpoint it because we have done so well actually in terms of mental health to really highlight things like trauma now we generally accept you know trauma can really impact people's lives and that's new Mm -hmm. that has that really has changed previously you know we were kind of in the dark about that But psychology is a relatively new discipline. And so we are learning all the time. We are evolving all the time. And so if we think about mental health as a continuum, we kind of studied the the most severe events, which you would always do in in a field of scientific sort of inquiry. We've studied kind of those very, very, very severe cases. Mm -hmm. But it's actually a relatively small number of people. But on this continuum, there will be major life events actually that happen as well. Yeah. So things like going through a divorce, the mm-hmm. death of a loved one do have an impact. But then there are also things that are just daily grinds yeah. that really, really wear us down. Things like toxic positivity, things mm-hmm. like microaggressions, really things that are constant and they actually interweave with bigger traumas and produce basically a constellation of of issues that then developed into what we call maladaptive behavioral patterns or thought patterns that really keep us very, very, very stuck and absolutely reduce our quality of life. And I think also as well with the generation and the age that we're living in at the moment where Mm. everything's kind of accessible in our own hand, I think that has a massive, massive Mm. part to play when thinking about when we were children and we, we didn't have things like that, like my kids, for example, that, you know, that they have access to YouTube, Instagram, mm-hmm. all these social medias mm-hmm. and the things that they're absorbing on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. It's not good. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely. So information is a type of consumption. And yeah. so again, because technology has moved just so so quickly, we're kind of always like just running to catch up with it. Yeah. And just as you know, we we probably wouldn't eat um, you know ultra processed junk foods uh, three mm-hmm. times a day every day. Well, we're getting to realize that that constant consumption of of sort of information and media and even news media yeah. is maybe not the best thing for us to do because what what it yeah. does actually. And it's designed to do this because it is designed to get people to click and to engage. Mm-hmm. It triggers our innate stress response. So mm-hmm. that then develops into a behavioral pattern that is like an addiction. It's addictive like. Right. So we're trying to actually reduce how stressed we feel by reassuring ourselves by clicking. And this became so apparent during the pandemic, didn't it? So yeah, the rolling absolutely. coverage of death tolls and case numbers, and it was, it was a addictive to be able to look and we're trying to reassure ourselves but it does the opposite it does the opposite because it maintains that stress and fear response Mm -hmm. over time we know has you know very very tangible psychological Mm -hmm. and physical health sort of outcomes for that you could almost feel the heightened tension 
you know every time it's almost like we we watched all of these things because we needed to know because we were mm -hmm. frightened mm -hmm. but then again that need to know like you say moves into a cycle of addiction mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. yeah but really difficult now I, I can imagine in your profession that you that you see a, a hell of a lot of of things as a you know as a consequence of of the pandemic Mm -hmm. Yes, without a doubt. But but one point I would like to make there is that there's a lot of sort of talk about this this um, sort of increase in in mental health conditions yeah. and and presentations from the pandemic. But but actually, things were you know those rates that that prevalence was rising before. So I think oh, we okay. we like to um, attribute things in, in a way that makes sense to us. But mm -hmm. actually, we were struggling before that. And it is because of this low grade trauma that we push under the carpet and we mm -hmm. think, you know what, oh, it's it's not important enough. Or we think, well, actually, someone's got it worse than I have. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to talk about it and I'm not going to seek help. When we do that, we miss the opportunity to develop coping mechanisms because we're mm -hmm. just ignoring it. Whereas when these smaller traumas happen in life, if we can, first of all, be aware of them and yeah. then use them to our advantage to develop coping mechanisms, when bigger things do happen in life, and which they always will. So yeah. we will always um, need to, to, to manage those really difficult life experiences mm -hmm. like the death of a loved one that that will happen inevitably and if yeah. we can use some of these sort of smaller experiences the tiny traumas to build our psychological immune system when that happens we are going to be in a robust place to be able to cope with life's you know, really yeah. tricky bits it's almost like building yourself a, a psychological toolkit yeah. so that you can dip in and out of when you need to Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, definitely and I kind of I kind of make the analogy about an immune system because when and first of all because of the pandemic we're also first <laughs> in talking about you know um things to do with the immune system and um, immunology but the important thing here is that when we think about the immune system we're all born with some innate immunity so you know yeah. we, we we get that from our mothers there's there is some protection against the world as it was from from yeah. the day we were born but only a small amount now the rest of it we have to develop through life now mm -hmm. the way we develop physiological immunity through life is mm -hmm. interaction with the environment interactions with pathogens with bacteria with viruses these sorts of things and in yeah. general in general we have an immune response and that gives us antibodies to be able to fight off yeah. having this similar or, or same sort of um invasion of pathogens again yeah now if we think about in terms of psychology it's exactly the same because one of the comments i receive quite a lot is well how can we protect ourselves from chinese traumas that the point is to actually use them as psychological antibodies. And when yeah. these things happen, to think about it more in terms, okay, this has occurred. I want to build my psychological immunity. I want to build that up through the experience of these tricky situations or, or feeling you know, disappointed or feeling even humiliated sometimes. Humiliation mm -hmm. is a really big one. Um, so to not be frightened of them, but to use them in a way that best serves us. Yeah, definitely. And I also love um, in your book, Dr. Meg, about the, the boat analogy that you use. Mm. 
Um, I did actually sing the line because it says rock the boat don't rock the boat baby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you did that on purpose or well not. I don't know if I was gonna get in trouble for that <laughs> copyright <laughs> but never mind <laughs> yeah but you you explained it in such such a wonderful way um so for anyone who hasn't read the book could you just um re-explain that because I can see it in my head it's it's really really fascinating Yes, so we can be sailing along in life and sailing along and and, and our boat, you know, a boat and, you know, we were sitting there feeling very, very comfortable and mm-hmm. may, maybe a, a little rock hit, hits the bottom of the boat and has just just a little, a little bit of a, a little bit of a crack in the boat, but we're still going, we're still going, we're like, okay, it's, it doesn't matter, it's only really small, small, maybe tiny little leak. And then we keep going, we keep going and weather can get stormy and it can kind of shift us around. And then maybe we have a, another crack of now this one's in the hole, but we're still going, we're still going and we're still able to propel ourselves forward. A few more of these little wounds, little injuries. And actually we start to notice the horizon starts to be sort of changing, <laughs> but we're not sunk yet. We're not sunk. We might be taking on a little bit of water, but we are still able to move forward. But actually it's getting harder and harder and harder. And over time, if we don't take care to repair some of these little scrapes and scratches and little holes, what's going to happen is we will capsize. And in terms of capsizing, I see people who are experiencing burnout Mm-hmm. When you get to the point that actually, although it, it is still effortful, you're just, you're just not coping anymore. Yeah. And that's the point that we can actually intervene before then and help people not get to burnout, help people yeah. get not get to the point where life feels so overwhelming. Yeah. We can help people recognize the little, little holes, little, little sort of damage in their boats and and repair them at the time at the time to be able to keep sailing through life and of course there's always weather there will always be weather but if we're really taking care of our psychological immune system or our boats what we can do is we can really you know sail in a way that gives us that sense of you know thriving and not just surviving and and weathering that storm the storm of life that you know in a way isn't it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so do you think dr meg that people when people come to you or when you see patients is there a gray area because people might be wondering well Mm -hmm. am i experiencing a tiny trauma or is it a major trauma because we often lessen the things that happen to us because Mm -hmm like you say we we always think to ourselves well someone has it worse that kind of thing is it is it very clear for you in your profession profession whether it's a tiny trauma or a major one so one point I want to really get across about trauma it is not about the sort of objective size of the event it is the impact on the individual So if it's impacted you in a way that has changed you in in an important way, it is it is meaningful. Now, the actual event may have been relatively, you know, small and Mm -hmm. someone else may think, you know, that was that was tiny. Like, why why is that bothered you? But it's impacted you. And also in the same way that you may be interacting with someone, you know, and they've experienced something and you don't quite understand why it has 
derailed them so much. But again, it's not about that. It's the impact on them because we're all individuals and we take all of our life experiences into each and every day and something that impacts one person may not impact the other. Just as the way that we know these days, you know, how damaging it is to, to compare, um, you know, even positive things because there's so much pressure online and things like that. We, we don't need to, we don't need to play what I call reverse misery trumps. So reverse misery okay. trumps is thinking, okay, someone has it worse off. And even though I really am not feeling okay and actually having some of these sort of difficulties in my life, mm -hmm. I'm just going to, you know, completely push it under the carpet. No, if it's impacted you, it's something to take note of to be able to use for your emotional health. Definitely. Absolutely. I bet, I bet it's very difficult. Like we, I say we talk about it in the book. I didn't write it. <laughs> you talk about in the book, um, like we um, spoke about a moment ago, building up that immune system. Mm -hmm. How, are people able to, are people able to sit down on their own and go through things or is it when it's impacting your own life that you need to um seek some professional help no i i fully fully believe um both on a professional and personal level that yeah. we can do this ourselves too okay. so in the book there are a number of tools and they're taken from different sort of areas of psychology and they really can help people unpick their constellation of tiny T traumas and bigger T's will be thrown in there as well. Yeah. So for instance, there's like um, one, one of my exercises is, is about life mapping. So it's about, you know, jotting down and there's always, I tend to use sort of pen and paper type exercises and it's good because it really helps us process. And I would always yeah. say, use a pen and a piece of paper, you know, mm -hmm. go old fashioned here. So just jotting down date of birth and then plotting Things that have happened in your life, both positive and negative, but that yeah. have impacted you or changed you in, in some way that is notable for you. Okay. And then on the top, just a sort of score how, you know, how much this has impacted you between one and 10 um, in a positive way. And on the bottom score between one and 10 on in perhaps, you know, a less sort of positive way as it were. And okay. then you can start to see how things have played out in your life mm -hmm. and this is the first stage of my AAA process and it is awareness now we really do need a sense of awareness because without awareness we're just kind of walking around blindfolded and we yeah. don't have that knowledge and knowledge really is power it really yeah, is absolutely. so there's a number of those exercises that you can absolutely do yourself absolutely but if you are um, in a place in your life that you would like to seek support, I would always, always encourage that. And yeah. psychology has changed. It really has changed. Mm -hmm. And um, not just me, many of my colleagues, we've worked really hard to make psychology much more accessible. I mean, much yeah. more accessible. So for instance, I'm a big proponent of eco-psychology. So that's taking therapeutic interactions out of a consultation room so walk and talk so I see clients in big parks in London and it just really reduces that sense of almost um confrontation because it can feel yeah. a bit like a confrontation mm -hmm. rarely in life do you sit across from someone and in, in such a way 
but also I don't know I don't know Michelle about you some of the best conversations we can have are in the car because we're not looking directly at each other and you're comfortable that way it's about where makes you comfortable a Mm -hmm. lot of people might think to themselves oh god can't can't go to see a specialist because I'll feel like I'm you know under the spotlight kind of thing Mm -hmm. and it's it's in an environment that feels clinical to me yeah which in turn makes me feel uncomfortable before I've even got there so I think what you're doing in that sense is just incredible because you're making it more comfortable for for everybody Mm -hmm. well thank you so much I really (laughs) appreciate that that feedback because I kind of feel like the, you know, the the psychologist next door. So, you know, someone <laughs> yeah. that you would hope... The psychologist you can have a coffee with. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. And, you know, thinking about it in those terms, it, it really reduces the pressure. Yeah. Also, um, I have many, many clients, and even myself, when I've had, as a psychologist, you have to have your own therapy. Um, mm-hmm. And you can feel like you're going to go into these four, you know, white clinical walls and be and yeah. be judged. And mm-hmm. it is not about that at all. Um, as psychologists, what we do is we guide people. We really yeah. do guide people because um, every individual has resources and we help those individuals to pinpoint those resources and to amp them up as much as possible and we do we do and they're not just the resources within there there are lots of resources there's resources within our social networks there's resources within the type of um you know movement we do the type of you know so many things the environments we're in so in that sense to to think about psychology as is not being analyzed um mm-hmm. in my personal life whenever I whatever I go out and I meet someone new and they say well what do you do I say well I'm a psychologist <laughs> and one of the one of the most frequent um replies I have is oh so you're analyzing me I'm like no. yeah right now you'd be stressed <laughs> <laughs> and actually that that has never really been what psychology's been been about so mm-hmm. the way psychology is portrayed a lot in the media too, that yeah. someone is there with, you know, with um, a, a checklist and, you know, mm-hmm. trying to, to, to read someone's mind almost. No, no, no. Yeah. That's, that's not the way psychology works. But And I think a lot of the time on TV and things like that, you always see, even in like comedies, it's always somebody in a white room and they're put on this like chaise long and then they have to lie down. <laughs> And then the psychologist is sat there with really stern glasses on and says, well, how does that make you feel? And then it's, oh, my God, I don't, I don't want to go into a situation like that. It's portrayed really negatively a lot of the time, isn't it? And it's unfair. It's such a caricature, though. It really <laughs> is. And, Michelle, I do want to share with you something that I find frustrating as a psychologist is yeah. that, um, and there's been lots more psychology um, on TV and on the streamers mm-hmm. recently. Um, and in general, the the practitioner is a man and actually there are many yes. more psychologists that that are are female mm-hmm. um and so i think that sometimes sometimes can you know that sort of pre you know expectation in your mind can also really be a barrier but yeah. but as as well as well um the the types of interactions my partner would tell you i do get i do get quite passionate when i see these and they would be seen as being so unprofessional in, in real <laughs> life. They, they really, really would. 
so I would encourage people to like anything to 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 start slowly if they're interested in any sort of psychological support you can start with you know it doesn't have to be my book but but with reading reading a book <laughs> that is, it should be <laughs> <laughs> but a book that is evidence-based and is by yeah. a practitioner um and just exploring it a little bit exploring that a little bit um, and also in terms of when you do um, or if, if you do choose to see a professional, um, yeah. you don't you don't always sort of have a rapport. And, and that's OK. That's OK. Mm-hmm. So I would say to stick with it for a few sessions. But if you really don't feel that rapport, you can you can find someone that you click with a little bit more, too. So I you're think, not. I think that's a, that's mm. a common thing for people as well, mm. because they worry that if they if they're not getting that I hate to use the word vibe but it is isn't it you know if if you're not connecting with with the person that essentially you're telling Mm -hmm. pouring your heart and soul out to then it can be quite deflating I would imagine and then they may at that point give up on therapy completely I didn't actually know you were allowed to choose somebody else if you didn't so that's interesting Yes, yes. Just as you could have a second opinion from, you know, uh, any any sort of medical doctor. Yeah, of course. absolutely. Now, of course, there's the you know, in terms of of if it, if it's NHS or, or private, there are yeah. going to be different sort of options. But but mm-hmm. even even if um, you've been through a whole course of treatment and you don't feel that it's helped you, you absolutely can ask for additional support. And the okay. thing is, you know, we are all humans. And actually, there may be some people that you don't feel you click with. I would say yeah. that on that first session, because it can feel overwhelming, I wouldn't I wouldn't just, uh, you know, assume on the first session to, ha- to have a few. But Michelle, I would say the vast majority of people that I see have tried other yeah. things have tried in fact mm-hmm. a huge range of things in yeah. terms of not just therapy but lots of lots of different interventions mm-hmm. and um, and I'm I you know, don't don't get me wrong I'm, I'm not saying that um I can help every single person and not every single individual be able to do that as a practitioner but when you find someone that really has a range of tools as a practitioner yeah. that can actually tailor the the techniques to you, that that can really, really help. That can really, really work. And, so, and I think that's what makes you different as well, though, because it, it feels more. I mean, we're obviously we're having a conversation. We're not having a therapy session, but yeah. instantly you can feel like you you can go for a coffee with that person so and I think that lifts the initial scariness yeah if scariness is even a word but you know what I mean it's so it's so difficult and so vulnerable to yeah. to put yourself in that situation so if you can if you can find someone that you connect with on on a level that that you could go out for a coffee with them it it makes all the difference Michelle, absolutely. And scariness is definitely a word, definitely a word. <laughs> and it is, it is sort of the practitioner's job to, to make the space feel safe. It, it really is. And in terms of how psychology is, is moving on, it really is moving on. So um, there's quite a lot of discussion about whether you should, whether a psychologist should do any sort of self-disclosure 
And when psychology was was very much in its infancy um, mm-hmm. in, in Western countries, especially, it was no, 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 you can't tell any client about anything about yourself. And full disclosure, of course, you know, it's about the client. It's not about you, yeah. but it's really helpful sometimes for a client to, to know a, a little bit about you. So there's mm-hmm. information about me um, in, you know, in, in the public domain. And I think that's really important. But I did a study with a friend of mine who was also a psychologist in Tanzania. And it was absolutely mm-hmm. fascinating because we did a qualitative study. So we were interviewing practitioners there because we were trying to train them up with some CBT basically um, and see whether whether it was appropriate for a, a different sort of social cultural environment. Yeah. And when we did the interviews with the practitioners, what they said is they said, you know, you gave us these guidelines about self-disclosure. We, we can't work like that. There is no way that if somebody comes to us for support, if we don't yeah. tell them about ourselves, that they, they won't take it seriously. They won't take it on board. Okay. And that's another thing. Sometimes psychologists are seen to be people that um, almost don't have any issues in their lives. Yeah. And that's, that's like not... unreachable in a way. Yeah. And that's definitely, definitely not true at all. So so from the book it is a collection not just of um what i see with my clients but things yeah. i've struggled with myself you know yeah. i i am very open about being a recovering perfectionist i okay. really did feel that drive for perfectionism for a long long time and it's kind of something mm-hmm. that you have to manage quite a lot of the time I um, yeah especially but, in doing what you're doing to be able to teach other people these things i mean on a personal level was it scary for you to share that kind of information oh my god it was terrifying <laughs> <laughs> but you know again that is good to be able to be in the shoes of clients and of course to say we all have our own therapy but in that way that you know I really do understand a a lot of these issues and you know the fears around that kind of sharing with people is that when you're trained you are trained to to almost be a robot um although to 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 have compassion and empathy Mm -hmm. but to really, you know, be be able to hold that space for someone in that way. I just personally and professionally don't think that works. I think if yeah. people can see that you are a real life human being that's been yeah. through some stuff and, you know, has found ways to cope. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's so much mental health, you know, um, uh, support that really... Yeah is around people that have come through very difficult times and they support other people and Mm -hmm. having and our governing body the british psychological society is now encouraging people who work within mental health in that way to join our body because there's lots of different ways to support people um and it of course always backed up with 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 training and with Mm -hmm. appropriate qualifications but we can't pretend that we've we've not experienced anything because no. no one gets through life unscathed and that's a real point of the book as well mm-hmm. and, and no one's boat is always unleaked is it? oh no 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 <laughs> and sometimes our boats are in really bad shape and they've really yeah. really been knocked about but what i would say is that we always always can can really do some of those repairs but it does take effort and one of the things that I find 
a little bit worrying, especially for younger generations, is mm-hmm. with um, some of the information on online and on places like TikTok, with these tiny, tiny little, what, 90 second clips, that mm-hmm. if you do this, everything is going to be magically okay. better. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really work like that. No. It, it does take, you know, some, some very um, concentrated effort. And it's just like physical health. So, you know, if if you join the gym um, and go once, you're not really going to be physically fit. And Michelle, no. I've done that. I did that. <laughs> I, I, I paid for an entire year and I went, I honestly went once. It was so oh. <laughs> Watching that money go out, you bank account every month. <laughs> and always thinking, you know, that money is going to make me go because I'm paying for it. But then yeah. life gets in the way. And then, yeah. of course, there's all things to do with that. But in, in the same way, um with mental health yes but instead you can do small things on a daily basis so I was never one for going to the gym so it was totally unrealistic that I was going (laughs) to find an hour you know every couple of days to go that was never going to happen but what I can do is I can go for a short walk the same with mental health so we may not have the capacity to have an hour of, of therapy a week mm-hmm. and it may not be what suits us best but yeah. we could find three to five minutes to do a short mindfulness technique mm-hmm. and just interweave that into our daily habits to yeah. support mental health and I cannot I cannot underestimate the impact of these tiny things that yeah. for our lives so just the way that tiny traumas can can really um, build up to 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 cause some very difficult um, patterns in our daily lives. Little yeah. tiny triumphs can really help Change us that. to to flourish. Mm-hmm. You're you're a big advocate, Dr. Meg, about um, concentrating on the the positive things as well. To you know not counteract because that doesn't always happen, but very much like doing the written exercises like your um mapping that you were talking about earlier you're you're very um passionate about getting people to recognize the positives because like you said it's it's really about if we've had so many negative mm-hmm. mental patterns in for mm-hmm. such a long time it, it can feel overwhelming for us to mm-hmm. to add all of those huge things in but yeah. if you start with little small bits then it really really makes a massive difference always start with the small bits and always do things that suit your life because otherwise they're not going to be maintained and Mm -hmm. so in in terms of my triple a process the we talked a bit about awareness and the middle bit is acceptance and Mm -hmm. that can be really tricky and it's something that when I see people in my practice that they haven't what really even considered because sometimes we think acceptance is resignation we think acceptance is giving in and giving up but it's not yeah acceptance, being defeated yeah yeah acceptance is really being able to to move on and be empowered in mm-hmm. that sort of sense and that then leads us to actions so these yeah. little bits of peppering sort of you know perhaps things like mindfulness perhaps some other psychological skills and tools it is about taking action because awareness on its own isn't enough. We really do need acceptance because there are things in our past that we cannot change, Um, but we can always take action. We can always take action 
And as I say, they don't have to be these massive gestures. They don't have to yeah. be huge. And I would say really just to, to really focus on the little things. Um, one of my favorites is, uh, and a, a, lot of, a lot of people have talked about this in recent years, but there's a huge amount of research for it, is a gratitude exercise. And my partner and I, before bed, um, because I think it's really good to do before you go to sleep, because it yeah. just shifts your mindset that little bit, is to That's think... That's how you're of, ending your day exactly. on a positive note, and that can make all the difference. Hugely. So just to think of three things, and small things can be big things, but often it's small things in the day that you are grateful for, and mm -hmm. just to verbalize them. And it just yeah. shifts, it just shifts. Because otherwise, what I find, and I've done this, is that you get into bed and all the difficulties of the day can really weigh on your mind yeah. and that can disrupt sleep. But I mm -hmm. find it helps when you wake up to actually be in that sort of calmer space. Yeah. It really helps to calm the mind too. Mm -hmm. I've, I've found something that works for me is I'd noticed every every morning when I was waking up, I was going straight to my phone and then maybe scrolling for 10 minutes. But since I've stopped doing that, my days start out better yeah. than than before because it, it used to be really horrible. I used to always kind of get up in that stress state mm -hmm. and then wonder why, you know, I, I was experiencing such a negative day because I just I hadn't started it in the right way for me. So how, how do you start your day now? Um, I just get up. <laughs> yeah. Get See? up, yeah. And it is that simple. It is that simple. And, yeah. and what uh, one of the biggest things I do, and it comes back to what we were saying previously, is I help people do a sort of um, digital detox. And, mm -hmm. and it really is about using technology, again, as a tool and it mm -hmm. not controlling you. So... Um, having the phone outside of the bedroom yeah. and often the very first thing that people say is well I use it as an alarm clock like mm -hmm. you can get an old-fashioned alarm clock <laughs> yeah. so what's that what's that really about what is that comment really about it is about that fear of of not knowing what's going on mm -hmm. but that is something that has been created it's been created yeah. to keep us in that checking loop mm -hmm. with the phone and it's amazing, even within two weeks, there's a huge shift in that heightened stress response mm -hmm. by really separating yourself from technology in yeah. that way and using it, not letting it really use you. Yeah, exactly. It's, I often found that I was, when I was scrolling through Instagram in particular, I think it's really difficult. I don't know if it's I assume men and women feel the same, but from from a female perspective and the the age that I am in my life, I I found myself comparing all the time, and then I would get up in the morning and just not like myself very much because of all the things that I'd you know consumed before I before my head had even you know raised off the pillow. It was it was really difficult, and it happened for such a long time before I recognised. Well, actually, what am I doing before I even get out of out of bed that I can change? But I, I had no clue that, that that had such an impact on my day. Absolutely. I'd be interested to, to know in terms of where that realization that it was impacting your day came from. 
I thought I think it was because every time every time I wake up in the morning I just thought right okay I've got to go on my phone I've got to scroll mm-hmm. um obviously when you even when you go on Google it's it's always all the news mm-hmm. I mean you can you can put what what you're not interested in but it's like oh some such and such has died or there's been an earthquake mm-hmm. here or thousands of children are being it was all just I don't I, I can't even I, I'm not sure when I realized but I'm sure that I realized every time I went on Instagram in particular mm-hmm. in the mornings I always I felt really sluggish afterwards mm-hmm. and I kind of I took the rest of that sluggishness throughout my day and I just thought you know I'm just not happy I mean you know there's so many other things going on anyway but that in particular I knew had to change and that was one thing you can change as well because mm-hmm. there are things in our lives that we're not going to be able to change for everybody for everybody yeah. and that's where that acceptance piece comes from but certainly certainly the consumption of that sort of information because um michelle again I'm referred to research but there is some really interesting research around specifically instagram even when we know that those pictures are tweaked or filtered, even when we know the person and we know that their life isn't actually like that, mm-hmm. it still triggers the same part of our brain. It still triggers that feeling a bit rubbish about ourselves part. Yeah. It does. So we can't kind of think ourselves out of it in that way. But mm-hmm. whenever something, whenever a behavior starts to feel like a compulsion I would say, let's review it, really. Mm -hmm. So if we're reaching for a phone mindlessly, let's review that. I had a client, actually, and he took Instagram, in in particular, off his phone. And for the Mm -hmm. first few weeks, whenever he picked up his phone, his finger tapped the space. Where where the the icon was, I bet. Yeah. Yeah. So a a compulsion. And that goes the same for things like, you know, comfort eating. Like if the behavior seems to happen without you intentionally thinking about it, let's review that. Yeah. Almost like on autopilot, isn't it? Yeah. That's when it gets dangerous. Yeah. And the thing is, autopilot in a way serves us well in lots of in lots of situations because we can only take in a fraction of the information in our environment. The environment is so complex. And with technology, it's even more complex. So we do a lot of stuff on autopilot. And it actually is really, really good for us. And it's it's basically allowed us to evolve in some way. Mm -hmm. But when something is harmful to us, we need to to take a step back, have that awareness, accept what's happening and make actions, uh, take those actions to be able to, to really support our health. Yeah, definitely. Um, Dr. Meg, would you say your book, because we touched about um, talking about children, mm. would you say that because of the age that children now live in with, mm. you know, the, their consumption online, would you say that your book would be um, important to maybe teach children about going into schools or is it something that we only start recognising when we're adults? So I feel that, and I feel very, very strongly, that emotional literacy is something that we need to teach um, uh, young people. And it is actually a little bit coming out in schools. I've seen some really good mindfulness programs, but I've seen, yeah, yeah. So there there are things happening, but 
to really be able to to have that skill in regulating emotions is so key for quality of life and it, mm-hmm. it's actually shown to be key for, for things like um you know outcomes academic outcomes and things like this so really um having those skills that need to be taught they need yeah. to be taught and also having the skills to be able to express our emotions and having the mm-hmm. language for that absolutely absolutely i mean absolutely yeah. should be things that we should think about integrating and of course it's difficult it's difficult when we think about you know time and, yeah. and funding but it's so important um, if we could redesign some of our educational systems, you know, yeah. emotional literacy, I think is so important. I actually think other things are really important, like financial literacy is really, really oh, important. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You, you know, the amount of times that, that that we sat as children learning things that we have never, ever used no. again, yet nobody sat us down and taught us about, you know, paying bills and paying how bills. to be financially mm-hmm. healthy and how to talk to someone if you were struggling or yeah. how to support other people when they are. I think it's it's stuff that's so missed out I think we need to be teaching children to do things like recognizing their emotional health Mm -hmm. in the same way that we you know tell them how to eat healthy it's it's exactly the same you know physical and mental go hand in hand Mm -hmm. and I and I would say I do feel like we're moving towards that and again just Mm -hmm. in terms of um teaching kids how, how to eat properly and how to recognize between what is is healthy and what is unhealthy and the fact that you're going to want that unhealthy thing because it tastes really really <laughs> yeah. good um again so that's, we as adults though, yeah, <laughs> exactly but again that's relatively new that is relatively yeah. new so I certainly know when I was a kid and I was I was born in the states we moved to the UK when I was 11 but when mm-hmm. I was a kid, breakfast was pop tarts, and I cannot think yeah. of a worse thing to feed a child now. <laughs> you know, it's like going to school and having turkey Twizzlers. They're like a swear word now. <laughs> yeah, and we did, we did, and now it's completely, completely changed. And that's within one generation. So yeah. I feel so hopeful that we can mm-hmm. do this, even with the constraints of you know big sort of macro level systems. We can yeah. do this if there's enough push to mm-hmm. you know to make it happen well I, th- I think you know for me personally I think you're um breaking boundaries in your field in the sense of you you deliver to your patients in in a way that isn't hasn't been seen a lot and I think the fact that you're breaking boundaries in in that section I fully believe that that you can break the same boundaries when it comes to teaching our kids you know um, and with your amazing book so thank you so much thank you it's incredible so Dr Med where can people um find your book and where can they find out more about you so um, my website is drmegarrell.com um, and my name's a little bit tricky. So Arrell is A-R-R-O-L-L um, and also handles on, on socials, um, which again is difficult because like we talk about managing <laughs> socials, but it is Dr. Um, Meg Arrell on, on all that. Uh, and mm-hmm. there are some tips and hints there too, but with, you know, with the caveat that um, it is good to give a bit more time to our mental health than, yeah. than relying just on quick tips 
Um, but if you can't find me there, just 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 to Google because um, I've quite a unique name in that sense. The book is available on the the big the big uh, one, the big seller, but you can <laughs> find it in other independent places, um, okay. in physical bookstores, it's in Waterstones. So wow. yeah, e- even just Googling tiny traumas, it should come up. Yeah, and I'll put all of the links in the show notes um, down below in the episode. Well, I have to say, it's been an absolute pleasure and such an interesting chat. I literally could talk to you all day. <laughs> Michelle, thank you so much. And thank you for helping to spread the the word about a more nuanced discussion of mental health, because I feel it is so important. Yeah, no problem at all. It's an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you. And you take care.